Come this morning to a couple of rich verses on love in the book of Romans. We're in chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. The sermon is I'm preparing it is at work in my own heart. We've had a, a couple of years where relationships can be stretched and people find themselves with differing opinions on things and We've seen it in, inside and outside the church sometimes. Our relationship and our relationship capital stretched to its limit because of just the challenges of the things that we have faced together, the differences that we have felt within ourselves and with our brothers and sisters. But the church is grounded not in those things, but right here in this, this text and other places and in the love of God for us that is in Christ. So let's dive in. I'm going to go ahead and start in verse 1. I, I, I say when we slow down to dig down and do a verse or two at a time, sometimes we can lose the larger context. And so I'm going to just go ahead and read verses 1 to 10, and then we'll go ahead and talk about 9 and 10. Paul writes and he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, by the testing, so that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For by the grace that is given to me, I say to everyone, to all of you, Not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to. But to think with a sober judgment, each one of us according to the measure of faith that God has assigned to us. For as in one body, we have many members. And many members do not all have the same function. And so we, though we are many, we are also one body in Christ. And individually, we are members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace that God has given us, so let us use them. If it's prophecy, then do it in proportion to your faith. If it's service, then in serving, and the one who teaches in his teaching, and the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, and the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. But let your love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. And in so doing, outdo one another in showing honor. That is to one another. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you again for your word that is living and it is true. And we long for it to be spoken to our souls with power. Always protect us from simply gathering information. And Father, open our hearts to the genuine transformation that you design by the the truth and the power of your word and the power of your spirit. Father, meet us this morning. Speak to us. Bring us to repentance and to new life. Transform us by the renewing of our minds that we indeed may be more like Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen. Paul tells us that in light of the mercies of God that have been described in chapters 1 to 11, leading up to chapter 12, that by the mercies of God, the only rational and spiritual response that is, that is 
acceptable is that we should offer ourselves to God as a living sacrifice, that we should surrender and yield ourselves to Him fully in obedience, that our heart and our minds would be given over, that we would live not for ourselves. And he gives a picture of what this looks like in verse 2. He gives a picture of this consecration, this offering ourselves to God, a consecration that is to no longer be conformed to the pattern of this world, to not be pressed into the mold of this world, but rather that we should be transformed, that we should be changed, that we should be sanctified, that we should be changed more and more into the image of Christ. And he says this happens as our minds are renewed. And then we noticed, I, I, if you remember, we noticed that he moves immediately in verses 3 and 4 and 5 and 6 and up to even 9 and 10 where we are. He moves immediately to talk about the church. We're to be transformed in the renewing of our minds. And then Paul wants to talk first and foremost about the life and the body and the love of the church. That our attitude as a shared body and the Christian heart of love should be conformed to Christ. To be Jesus' disciple is to, to learn what Jesus teaches and then to think like Jesus thinks and then to live and, and act and to live out what Jesus says is his own pattern and his own desire and his own his own life. To be Jesus' disciple, you and I must think like Jesus thinks. And the first way we need to do that is to think about the church the way Jesus does. To think about each other and the way that we do life together. To think about what we're doing here this morning. To think about all of the times and places that we gather. And to be conformed into the way Jesus thinks about it. And so the key application, Paul says, in offering ourselves to God in worship, the key application is to offer ourselves to each other in love. And Paul illustrates and applies it in verses 3 to 8, doesn't he, with this picture showing us that God's people are one body in Christ, just like a body has many members. And he says, the first thing you need to understand as you think about the body of Christ is that you're that body, and it's a real body, and you guys are all different members of it, but, but you're one body in Christ. This is the way you should think. You're like a hand to the, somebody else's foot, and that we need each other. We belong to each other, and we serve together, and we make one whole healthy church. And so he calls us to use our gifts practically and sacrificially to, to serve each other, to serve the body of Christ. He calls us to activity. And so what he is saying here is that to love and worship God, to give ourselves to God, that all of this, he says, is manifest in the way that we are connected to, in the way that we love and serve each other. It becomes observable, this love of God, this worship of God, this giving ourselves as sacrifices to God. He says this, this all becomes visible, it all becomes manifest, observable, and concrete in our love for each other, in the, in the life and the body of the church. John 13, 35, Jesus said, by all this, it is by this that all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love, if you have love 
for one another. And now Paul says that this love, which is to be the attitude and the atmosphere of the church, he says this love must be genuine. It must be genuine. This is harder sometimes than you think. Because love is, he is saying, is the heartbeat of the body as we're called to use our gifts. And he, and he calls us to, to be united in this way. And then, he, and then he says, but the love that drives all of this, it, it ha- it's the heartbeat of the church. And so it has to be genuine. Or, or it's going to be dysfunctional like many of our families. The love must be genuine. <clears throat> what we see in these two verses in 9 and 10 then is that God has a rich vocabulary of love. A rich vocabulary of love. He uses four, there are four different words in the Greek to describe different kinds of love. And three of the four are used in this passage. And I think it is helpful to get this rich vocabulary of love and to understand that, that you know, God's broad rich vocabulary for it because you hear a lot in our culture right now saying love is love. And the Bible says there are all different kinds of love. That's not necessarily true. Because we talk about, I say, the problem with English is we have mainly one word that we use. Because I'll say I love ice cream. And the same word I use when I say I love my wife. And I'll say I love my dog. In the same way I love ice cream, but I'm not going to eat my dog. Or I love, you know, what? Packer football, right? But I love the church, right? We use this one word, it describes everything. And, and it all gets up, and then no wonder the culture says, well, love is love. Like, we only got one word. It's like, but it's, but it's not. And God gives us at least, he uses, there are four words for love used in the New Testament. Three of them are used in this text. The only word in the Greek for love that's not used here is the word eros. From the word we get erotic which simply is a word that describes romantic and marriage love. It's, it's the physical and romantic between a man and a woman, biblically. Right? And so that's the only word that's not here because that's not the context that we're in. But he uses every other word for love that he could garner, and he brings it into the life of the church. He uses the word agape, the word storge, and the word philia. Phileo in the verb. Agape, storge, and philia. So agape refers to God's divine love. Most of you know that word, agape love. Lots of people name things after agape. Some people name their churches agape because it is this love. It's the only word in the New Testament that is used to describe God's love. These others love comes out. They're applied to the church right here. Agape is applied, but so are the other two. They're all applied to us. But the only When God's love is talked about, only one word is used, and it's agape. It's that unconditional love. It's not the love of attraction, because even when we were sinners, God loved us. Even when we were not attractive, he loved us. It's more of a moral quality, a moral posture even. That's why his love can be an everlasting love, right? A steadfast love. It's a divine love. It's not rooted in our value or in our attractiveness. It's rooted in the one who gives it. This is God's love. Unconditional, steadfast, and everlasting. And when he sets it upon you, covenantally, 
It is an immovable thing. So we have this agape love, and he also mentioned storge. Storge is, refers to that strong love and devotion that's within a family. Right? So the, the, the love of a mother to their child. Right? It's a unique kind of love. It, it gets its own word. Right? It's that devotion that you feel to your family, that when your family is in trouble or there, there is whatever it is, there's, there's a devotion to family. We circle the wagons. We support each other. We help each other. Right? It's the love of a child to their parent. It's a unique love. It's not eros. It's not some of these others necessarily agape. It's a unique thing between a parent and a child or a husband and a wife. The, the bonds of family devotion to one another. And the third one that he uses is philia or phileo, which is a brotherly love. It's a friendship. And it can be literally between brothers and sisters, but it's used most often then, it's the word that's picked up to describe friendship. It's, what the, it's the word we would use to describe Jonathan and David. Right? There are, there are those who don't have a lot of words in their vocabulary. You have people trying to sexualize that relationship. But it's a relationship that's described by phileo, same people have done the same thing to Sam and Frodo, right? There, there's a friendship there. There is a, there's a love and a devotion of brothers traveling the road of life, suffering together, serving together, loving each other, supporting each other, there for each other, got each other's back. So Paul says in verse 9, let your love and in verse 9, the word, the first word that comes out there, the first love that is there is agape. Let your agape love be genuine. Let the, the, let the love that is God's love that has been planted in your heart be real and genuine. Let, let it be the love of God that you have experienced in you flow through you to other people. Let it be the, the real thing. Because it is this love, it is God's love, agape love, that is to be the governing love in the life of the church and to govern all other loves. This divine love, this work that God does in us. And he says that our agape love must be genuine. And it's interesting, you know, again, we're the, the words that we use, so it needs to be genuine. The word underneath there is actually a negative. It, it's let your, let your love be not hypocritical. The word is hypocrites. And in the old world, Hippocrates was a stage player. He was an actor. And they use that word in, you know, for hypocrisy, someone who wears a mask and is not what they appear to be. And he says, let, let, do not let your love be hypocritical. Let your love be genuine. Don't wear masks in church, which is one of the number one things I hear people say is every Christian has a church mask that we put on our best face when we come to church. But he says, don't do it. That we need to be honest with one another, to love, not to pretend to love each other, not to pretend to love Christ's church, but for there to be a genuine agape. Right? This agape is a word that's used when Paul says, here are the fruit of the Spirit. The first, Agape. I would argue that there actually is really only one fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is agape, is love. And the rest of the words describe what love is. 
Love, joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness. And I can prove it because 1 Corinthians 13 starts out and says, love is patient, love is kind. Well, over here, those are different fruits of the Spirit if you take them as nine separate fruits. But they're not. In 1 Corinthians 13, it says love is kind. Love is those things. So love is that thing. What God plants in our heart is his own love. And I think that this works itself out because the scripture tells us, well, I'll come back to it. It it tells us that if we love each other, the rest of it falls into place. To love Christ's church, it is the first fruit of the spirit. And when he says, let love be genuine and not hypocritical, he is saying, let the fruit of the spirit truly manifest himself in you. May the spirit May you be filled with the Spirit to such an extent that His love is real in you. And that His love for the church, that Christ's love for His own church, is that love which abides in your heart because you're filled with His Spirit and the fruit of His Spirit, which is that He loves His people. Messy as we are. And again, it's not a love of attraction. Because sometimes I'm not attractive to you and you may not be attractive to me, but there is this Love that is unconditional. That is a fixed moral posture towards you because of a relationship and a covenant that we are in as one body in Christ. First Peter says it this way. Peter, writing about the same thing, he says, having purified your souls. Isn't that a great picture? Your souls being washed. You know, and he says, this happens. We, our souls get washed. You know, they get purified. He says, by your obedience to the truth, when you put your faith and your trust in Christ and who he is and what he has done, and you've repented of your sin, and you put your faith in him, he says, your souls have been purified. And what happens when that happens? He says, for sincere Philadelphia. Here's the phileo tied with Delphia. That's why the Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. Your souls have been purified by the gospel for a brotherly love as he writes to the church, to love each other like brothers and sisters. And then he goes on, he pulls in agape, love. So love is a command, one another. And he adds then adjectives, earnestly, fervently, from a pure heart, since you've been born again. Like he's saying you've been born again, and in being born again, your soul has been purified. And, and, your, and so from your heart, from the deep places and the real places, earnestly and fervently love each other. Be relentless in it. And this is hard. This is hard, and it's not something that you can do. And this is why Jesus says, abide in me, and you'll bear much fruit, the fruit of love. But if you don't abide in me, you can do nothing, he says. But, but when we abide in him, it's a supernatural work because we hurt each other, you know, and it's hard. This is why he gives us the path for, for discipline and reconciliation. If your brother sins against you, go to him. Don't, you know, it's not a suggestion, you know, or if you feel like it, but if, you, if there's brokenness, go to him. If you go to worship and, and there you realize your brother has something against you, leave your gifting. Go to him. Go and be reconciled. Be relentless. Pursue this kind of love together, and it's not easy. It's awkward conversations. It's sitting down and working through things. It's being willing to be vulnerable. It's being willing to hear things from each other. It's being willing to not let things fester, as we're going to see here in a minute. He says, let your love for the church be without hypocrisy. It should come from a pure, a pure heart. 
It's unconditional and steadfast. And here's the thing with Paul. Paul will never let love hang in the air vaguely like our culture does. Love is this vague thing you fall into and then you fall out of it. What was it? I don't know, some vague feeling. Some vague thing that was going on in me or something that, you know, you you were doing it for me and it made me feel good, so that's great. Now you're not doing it. I don't feel so good. And so it's it's this vague thing that comes and goes and Paul's never, the Bible never lets love hang in the air as this amorphous idea. It's concrete, and that's what he does in verse 9. Notice that what he says in the last half of verse 9 is sandwiched between his use of all the words for love that he can think of. Right? So that we are to let our love be genuine and without hypocrisy. What does that look like? Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. That's love. But it's the essence of what he's calling us to. So let's think about that. Like to genuinely love you and you to love me and for us to love each other like God does is to commit to hate what God hates and to cling to and to love and to hold on to what is good. And that is a relentless process. And that's not easy because so often we cling to things in our hearts and let thoughts in our heads and attitudes in our hearts and feelings that we sit in and hold on to. And he says, abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. So what does this mean? When the the church together, individually, you as an individual, abhorring what is evil and loving what is good, and we corporately as a family and as a body abhorring what is evil and loving what is good, it means that we have to ruthlessly and relentlessly repent of our sin and to repent of those things in our life that break fellowship and family. See, Paul explains this, and we don't always tie these things together, but Paul has He's done this thing where we're to love each other and abhor what is evil and to love what is good. And he actually walks through in great deal what that looks like in many places. I'm going to give you one. It's kind of long. But I think we need to connect these things together. What does it look for my love to not be hypocritical, but for it to be genuine and practical, not hanging in the air, but lived out by abhorring what is evil and loving what is good. In Ephesians 4, 25, he says, speak the truth. With your neighbor. Love what is good. Tell him the truth. Don't smile and say, bless their heart. Tell them the truth. Love each other. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Have the hard conversations. Speak the truth into one another's lives. Love and speak the truth. Because why? We are members of one another. Right? He grounds it in what? Body language. Right? We just read that. We are members one of another. And because we are, we should love what is good, which is the truth, amongst ourselves. Not wearing masks and not pretending. He says, be angry and do not sin and do not let the sun go down on your anger. Abhor sitting on your anger. Abhor having anger for more than a day. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Keep a short account. Right? To love a person you're angry with means to reconcile with them. If someone has sinned against you, go to him, talk to him. If he listens, you've won your brother, go. Go and be reconciled. Go and handle it. Don't let the sun go down. 
not in your home with your spouse, not with your children, not with your brothers and sisters in Christ. To love is to abhor what is evil, which is to sit in our anger. It gives an opportunity to the devil, and we should hate that. When we know that in our home there is something festering that gives a foothold to the devil, that within our church we're holding on to the kind of things or we're that give a foothold to the enemy in the life of the body of Christ. We should abhor it with all of our soul. We should ruthlessly, ruthlessly root it out in ourselves and in our relationships. Let the thief who no longer, see so he said, speak the truth to each other. That's one of the Ten Commandments. Don't bear false witness against him or to him. Don't lie. Tell the truth and don't steal and then he goes on, you know, rather you should labor and do honest work with his own hands so that you may have something to share <clears throat> with anyone who is in need so that you can be generous, right? So abhor stealing and being a taker, but rather work hard, give yourself to things so that you can be generous, so that you can be a giver. Abhor being the taker and being the, the stealer and, and cling to wanting to be able to be generous in the life of the church, he says, let no corrupt, come out of your, corrupt talk come out of your mouths. Abhor corrupt talk in the life of the church. And when you're talking to your wife, and when you're talking to your husband or to your children, abhor it. And when you do it, repent. This is where I say it's ruthlessly to repent because this is hard. And it's something we can't do ourselves. It's something we need the grace of God. That's why we need to abide in Christ and in his love, which is where we'll end. And, and there we will bear much fruit. We can bear this fruit, and it's only as we're open to him, leading us to do the hard things. Love is to abhor and to cling. So abhor this corrupt talk, he says, but only that which is good for building up, if it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Abhor talk that tears down the church and people and, and ruins reputations and, and slanders them behind their back. Abhor talk that brings that kind of cancer and corruption in the church and cling to what is good. Speak only what is edifying for people and for the church. Relentlessly cut out. The gossip that destroys so many churches. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit because all of these things that if we entertain them will grieve the Holy Spirit. And he says don't grieve the Holy Spirit by, by doing and holding on to those things that anger and the corrupting talk and these other things that he says abhor them and cling to what is good. The Spirit has sealed you for the day of redemption. So let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander Put it away from you. Abhor it. Abhor it. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another. As God in Christ has forgiven you. Cling to what is good. Instead of holding your anger and becoming bitter, he says, to bear with one another and forgive one another as, as Christ has forgiven us. Abhor that kind of stuff in your own heart and in the body of Christ and cling to what is good. Paul says in Galatians 5 that the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You'll love your neighbor as yourself. And this is why I say again, I think that the fruit of the Spirit is one thing. I think that it's love. Because the whole law 
all the things that he says not to do and all the things that we're supposed to do, he said it's all summed up in a single thing, a single word, a single reality, agape. And if you have agape, we will love one another well. We will fulfill the whole law when we agape our brother, our sister, our church, our wife, our husband. And he juxtaposes it. Isn't it interesting in Galatians 5? Fulfill the whole law. If you love your neighbor as yourself, but if you keep on biting and devouring each other, then you're going to consume one another. Right? How practical right? is he saying as he comes down to again? How often, isn't it fascinating just how much Paul talks to the church about the things that come out of our mouths? And how he's pleading with the church to abhor that, to don't do that, don't grieve the spirit like that. Right? Don't, don't let that be a part of it. Let your love be genuine. And, and for it to be genuine, you've got to abhor those things and, and to love and to cling to the good. It's striking but not surprising how much Paul talks about it because the church struggles with it. From the first day I was a Christian and became aware of the gossip mill and the grapevine, and, and relationships that are strained and broken. And it's funny because we say that as the church, and I had no people that say, well, it shouldn't be like that, we're the church. <laughs> and that's not true because you are sinners saved by grace. And it's not that it's not going to be like that. It's that Paul says that, that because it's hard and because all of these things are natural to us in many ways, gravity is our sinful nature, he says we need to abide in Christ and to learn to hate our sin and to learn to repent well and to repent regularly and to pursue reconciliation and to pursue righteousness. And he calls it, this is a good fight, he says. We fight the good faith. We fight for the peace and the purity of the church. We fight for the health of our relationships and for the love of each other. We fight for repentance and forgiveness. We fight for it in the life of the church. By relentlessly, ruthlessly repenting. On top of agape in verse 9, then he says in verse 10, Paul, he adds two more in verse 10, two more, and in their compound words in verse 10. He doesn't just say storge and phileo. He actually, the first time, adds phileo to storge, and it's phileo storge, which is a way of emphasis. We know that phileo is brotherly love, and he adds your brother in there. So to love your brother, to have this love for your brothers. And the second one he combines phileo, well, I'm sorry, phileo and storge is to a love for your family. You know, and it is an emphasis. You could just say storge, you should have that family devotion and commitment to one another, but he combines it with the phileo storge, phileo delphia, love your brother, love your family. We should have this familial love and devotion, this brotherly love that marks the life of the church. Montgomery, James Montgomery Boyce says that in respect to the love of our Christian brothers and sisters, we are to be marked by that devotion which is characteristic of a loving, close-knit, and mutually supportive family. And so again, he does not leave it abstract, but he adds into what does this look like? And at least to some degree, he says at the end of verse 10, outdo one another in showing one another honor. Instead of biting and devouring one another, abhor what is evil. Rather, let's, 
let's compete. You know, let, let you, you try to be the example to everyone else. If all of us are trying to be the example to the others of what it looks like to honor one another, to respect each other and to protect each other's reputations and to deal honestly with things and to be healthy and, you know, and let us outdo one another in seeking to cling to that good. Reminds me of Philippians 2, which was our Easter text, where it said that we're to esteem each other more highly than ourselves, that we're to put each other before ourselves, to look out for others before and above ourselves, which is the very essence of Christian love, which is other-focused. Steadfastly and unconditionally and relentlessly other-focused. Caring about the other. Moving toward the other. And so in using all three of these words, combining agape and phileia and storge, and combining them into phileia storge and phileia Delphia, we see that in the, the piling of these words here around calling the church to this unfeigned, genuine, not hypocritical kind of love, he, he, he's calling us to love each other in every way. He has marshaled all the possible words, concretely, Nailing them down, manifesting them in the hatred of all these things which the Bible calls us to hate because God does, and clinging to, fighting for, and ruthlessly pursuing. So let me just give you a few things in terms of as we think of this and apply it. It's a very simple teaching in many ways. So simple and yet so hard. Right? It's one of those things that we say, well, if we just would love one another. God says that. If you love one another, you'll fulfill the whole law. Love seeks the other's good. Love does no harm. Love won't steal. It won't lie. It won't be unfaithful or commit adultery. It won't kill. It won't be, it won't be angry and, and murder each other with our words. Love won't do it. And, and it's so simple. Just love each other with agape love. And be devoted to each other as a storge. And, and be brotherly and have each other's back like like phileo, delphia, brothers and sisters. It's so simple. Go do it. But it's so supernatural. Right? It's so contrary to, we, 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 it's this thing of learning to not be conformed to the world, but needing to be transformed by the renewing of my heart and mind, only by the grace of Jesus. Love is a chief mark, though, and we have to start there, and you need to understand it, and I need to understand that if we're looking to abhor what is evil and love what is good, the chief mark of a follower of Jesus is the love of his people for his church. It is just irrefutable, undeniable, even in the things that we've read already this morning, that to love his church is the chief mark of, of a follower of Jesus. It's the first fruit of the Spirit. Maybe the only fruit of a Spirit. And he's told us what it looks like in verses 3 to 8 and using our gifts. He's gifted the body for the body. It's the first fruit. And we know this, you know, if you remember 1 Corinthians 13 where Paul goes on and says, if I can fathom all mysteries and I have all faith and I can do all this, he says, but I have not love, I'm nothing. Right? It's meaningless. And he, and he goes over that like three times. You can have all the other Christian graces and behaviors. And he says, and if you don't have agape, it's, it, it is the mark of the Christian. It is the fruit of the Spirit is agape. Right? And we are to agape each other with unfeigned, 
love. It is the chief mark. Why is it the chief mark? Because it's the first fruit of the Spirit. Why is it the first fruit of the Spirit? Because the Scripture tells us God is love. God is agape, he says. So 1 John 3.10, it says this, by this it is evident, and, and hear him in this, it, here it is evident between the children of God and the children of the devil. Here's how you know who somebody is a Christian or not. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, and nor is the one who does not agape his brother. Right? It's a chief mark. It, like, like you can know those who are in and those who are out, and whether they're seeking to live a life that is pleasing to God, they love righteousness, they want to be righteous, and they love his people. Right? He, he connects us to himself and to his church. 1, Corinthians, 1 John 4, 7, 8, he says, Beloved, let us love one another. Let us agape one another. Why? Because love is from God. And whoever's been born of him, whoever's been regenerated, whoever's been born again, who has been born of God, anyone who knows God, loves his people, one another. Anyone who does not love his people, one another, his brothers to the church, does not know God because God is love. So we just have to have, and I, as a Christian, we need to, and it brings me and roots me time and time again to remember love is the chief mark of a Christian. And when I'm failing to show that mark, there's a problem, and it should, it should shake me. Because it's not coming out of the fullness of the Spirit, it's coming out of the fullness of something else, and usually I'm full of myself or something worse. Being born of God and being baptized by the Spirit, he says, we bear the fruit of agape. And so, number one is it's a chief mark of a follower of Jesus. And number two, you, we must ruthlessly never let love become a mushy, vague notion in your head. And I remember sitting at lunch with a guy who was telling me about all the ways he is cutting off relationship with this person and he's, and he's not going to hand, you know, and he's, and he's giving me this thing, a record of wrongs in ways that he's now going to be postured toward this person. And he says, don't get me wrong, I love him. true story. And it, didn't, and it didn't go well when I tried to say, brother, you, you can't say everything you just said and that you love him in the same sentence. Love is not some vague amorphous notion that you have toward him all the while you're treating him like this. It, doesn't, it can't be. It doesn't work. And we have to ruthlessly have this in our own heads to abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. What is good is patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. It's following relentlessly after reconciliation. And in 1 Corinthians 13, again, he grounds it. Love, not an amorphous thing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy Love does not boast. Love is not arrogant and rude. It's not full of itself. It does not insist on its own way. It puts other people before itself. It's not irritable or resentful. Often that's translated, it keeps no record of wrongs. In other words, it forgives. It doesn't let the sun go down on its wrath. Love, because it is all these things, it doesn't rejoice in wrong. It rejoices, it, ha- it abhors what is wrong and it rejoices in the truth and it clings to what is true. And so love bears everything. Often in a church, I see people just walking away from each other. They're not bearing half the things. But he says love bears everything, and it believes all things, and it hopes all things, and it endures all things. Because why? Because love, agape, doesn't end. It abides. It's steadfast like the God who is agape. 
It's a chief mark of a follower of Jesus, and we must never let it become amorphous, but always grounded in concrete. And third, we need to remember that we love. 1 John 4, 19. Because he first loved us. And this pulls it all back. We hear all this, you know, we hear the commands of Scripture and the descriptions of what we should be and the commands of what we need to do and what we should do and what he wants us to do. And we have all this, but all the time he pulls it back down and he grounds it in, apart from me, you can do nothing. But in Christ, I can do all things. And with God, nothing is impossible. I look at a relationship that seems broken and I believe in a God who raises the dead. I believe, in a, I believe in a God that when that no relationship, if it's two Christian people, there's no relationship beyond repair. And he calls us to relentlessly pursue each other and submit to one another. He loved us with an agape love. We've been hearing this throughout Romans. Romans 5.8, he says, God shows his agape love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We're called in this love. We're saved by this love. In Romans 8, 39, he said, nothing is going to be able to separate you from the agape of God. Nothing can separate you from the agape of God in Christ. His love saves you. His love keeps you. His love, in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, it says, God's agape, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. You just got to imagine some like cosmic picture of love. And he says, he opened up your heart and he poured it out. And it, 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 it's been poured out in our hearts, purifying our souls, as he says in Peter, purifying our souls so that from a pure heart, not of our own strength and doing, but by the grace that is ours that we live every morning, his mercies are new, his love is fresh. We are loved, we are forgiven, we are embraced, we are accepted, and it gives me the grace and the power to forgive and to love you. And to move, he removes relentlessly toward me every morning, and so I can remove relentlessly toward you, and you toward me. We live in a world that is polarized and in pain. It is biting and devouring itself in one another. And I even hear it on the news in different ways as every news story breaks, whether it's political or a shooting that happens or this that happens or that happens, where is the hope? Is there any hope? We're so hopelessly divided. The shooting goes into gun debates. So hopelessly divided. Is there any hope? So much of the church's presence in the midst of this over the last two years has been negative. One of the biggest scandal stories has just broken on the church. Sexual immorality and abuse in the life of the church. I was doing this. I got a little thing come across my desk about another pastor who, he's an activist and trying to make a thing. And just like Jesse Smollett on the one side, he made up a story on the other side and we're making stuff up. Churches and Christians are fighting, splitting over COVID views and political convictions. Moving around, finding tribes. First John 4, 9 says, In this is the love of God. It was manifest among us because God sent His only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is the hope of the world. This is the gospel. This is what the world needs. We're ambassadors of this gospel. And unless our love and worship of God is manifest, 
observable and concrete in the way that we love each other, not biting and devouring each other. What will the world hear is good news? Unless we love each other with every kind of love by the grace that has been poured into our hearts. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you that you poured out your love into every heart. That you poured out your steadfast and everlasting agape, unconditional in Christ, saving us from our sins and from ourselves and inviting us into the life of the kingdom and the life of the Spirit, into the likeness of Jesus. Father, I pray that every heart of mine here this morning would be hungry to be more like you. That we would love one another genuinely from pure hearts. That we would abhor what is evil and love and cling to what is good, ruthlessly repenting and pursuing the life that is Christ's in his own body. This we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.